Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the Dis Afimi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. In this episode, I would love to and to be able to speak about pernicious anemia. It's one of those conditions that are not well known, but does have a severe impact on the lives of the people that do have it. So first of all, looking at you just to introduce yourself and tell the folks, um, the audience about your organization as well as yourself. Okay. Well, firstly, thank you for inviting me. Um, and it's a pleasure to speak to you in more detail about this. Um, my name is Katrina Birchall. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Pernicious Anemia Society, which is a charity based in the UK, but has international membership. Um, and we represent the interests of people with who have been diagnosed or suspect they have pernicious anemia. Um, um, we're both a patient advocacy group and a patient support group. So uh, this is an interesting time as well. B12 deficiency is um, a significant symptom of pernicious anemia and, um, you know, something that a lot of people are interested in at the moment and uh, seems to be a growing problem. So this is a timely discussion with you about this condition. Yes, thank you so much for that. And so we'll start with just, you know, what the definition of what pernicious anemia is. You kind of mentioned a bit of it there, but if you could just define it for the audience. Yeah, sure. So pernicious anemia is an autoimmune condition, which um, and autoimmune conditions are basically when the body attacks them, attacks itself. Um, in normal, let's say normal, healthy um, people, the stomach has these parietal cells, an intrinsic factor, which take B12 out of the food that you eat and um, put it into the blood and eventually your cells. Um, and that's how it works in, in the sort of normal course of events. People who have pernicious anemia, um, they, they either don't have parietal cells or they have antibodies which attack those parietal cells. And that means that they can't absorb B12 from food. Um, people with pernicious anemia also often have um, atrophic gastritis um, and then, or they may have low stomach acid, which also affects your ability to absorb not only B12, but other nutrients. And as you get older, um, your the volume of stomach acid reduces naturally. And so obviously people, um, sometimes pernicious anemia doesn't present itself till later on um, in, in life, although people of all ages can get it. Um, like other auto, it, um, people with pernicious anemia often have more than one autoimmune disease as well. So, you know, if you, if you have an autoimmune disease, you're, you are prone to having others. So people who have thyroid, um, vitiligo, things like that will, will possibly also have pernicious anemia. Oh, thank you for that. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that the, the interesting thing or thing that I find really interesting is that pernicious anemia is a bit of a 
um, a misnomer for the, the condition because it was called pernicious because 120 years ago when it was discovered, pernicious means fatal and people died of it. You know, there was no cure. People died. And um, that's not the case today because most people, um, you know, present with symptoms before they are actually anemic. So actually the word anemia is a bit of a red herring. Um, and um, it's actually a problem in the stomach, uh, which then affects, um, obviously, ultimately affects your blood and and could make you anemic. But if you've got to the stage where you're showing symptoms of megaloblastic anemia, it's gone, it's gone too far in a way. And, and certainly people shouldn't be hopefully left until that stage before they're diagnosed. Um, but the problem is that when people present with symptoms with pernicious anemia, their symptoms can can be um, symptoms of anemia. So they can be breathless. They can be, um, you know, the pale, um, all, all the sort of classic symptoms of, of anemia, which which might also be like the same symptoms for iron deficiency anemia. Or they might present with gastric problems or, you know, bowel problems or gastric problems. And then they might uh, present with those type of issues. But the most common issues that people present with are actually neurological or neuropsychiatric. So these are the ones where people have pins and needles, um, an unsteady gait. They have um, perhaps vision um, issues. The one that most commonly people describe is brain fog or concentration issues or problems with um, finding words, concentrating um, things that obviously that make them concerned that you know what is wrong with them because it's often happens these things often creep up insidiously on people and they don't realize um, that these are all symptoms of a b12 deficiency caused by pernicious anemia no oh definitely for sure and and the fact that you mentioned that um you know pernicious anemia being fatal because i know for myself and my family history you know, my great grandfather, he died of the actual condition back in 1912, I think it was before there was, you know, the the treatment for it. And, and it kind of leads into, you know, who it would be more prone to pernicious anemia. And of course, is there a hereditary connection to that? Yes. Yeah, so so this, this is a really interesting question and something that we and I know you're particularly interested because you have a, a family history, as do I. I have um, people in my family with pernicious anemia and related conditions, autoimmune conditions. Um, so first of all, I think it's really interesting to point out that like many autoimmune conditions, um, pernicious anemia is more common in women than men. It, it, it does exist in men, but, um, and, you know, obviously, um, but generally it, it um, presents more in women, um, about an 80 to 20 um, ratio. There's a, there is a myth, or there was a myth, that um, it was primarily people of North European descent that were prone to this, but there's insufficient research to really say that that is the case. And actually, there's research that suggests that isn't true, uh, because, um, for example, there's quite high rates of the other connected autoimmune diseases in, in Asian and Afro-Caribbean um, backgrounds, and so you have, um, you know, Hashimoto's, um, Graves, all these other autoimmune conditions, which are, which commonly present with pernicious anemia. So, um, and so, so there is uh, research to be done, but generally it can affect anyone of any age. Um, it's slightly more common in older people because it does take a while sometimes to present. Um, 
Um, but but generally, you know, it, it can be people of any age. If you um, if you look at B12 deficiency generally, and I think that's worth mentioning mm -hmm. too, because later on we'll, we'll talk about probably the difficulty in diagnosing pernicious anemia because of the lack of you know accurate tests. So people who might be diagnosed with a B12 deficiency without having a diagnosis of of um, pernicious anemia, that's a very there's a very high proportion in um, the Caribbean background and in um, Asian East Asian women predominantly. Um, but with um, pernicious anemia specifically, um, I thought it was quite interesting just. To I just need to look at my notes because there was a study in 1999 in the USA which said that um, specifically said that pernicious anemia is as common in black and Asian um, Asian Indians as well as white so I think that's quite an interesting point because there is this myth and I think especially when you present to a GP or to a primary care provider that there will be an assumption that it's a it's an elderly white female disease and that isn't certainly isn't the case. Um, you mentioned also about it being uh, whether it's a hereditary condition and we tend not to use the word hereditary because that sort of implies a genetic link and that isn't that's something that needs to be researched and we don't know the answer to that but what so we tend to talk about um, familial clustering and that is that is definitely the case it's the case with autoimmune disease but it is specifically the case with pernicious anemia Again, interestingly, lots of research that needs to be done in that area. But what we already know is that it's very common amongst siblings. Um, it's very common amongst um, generations as well, but sometimes skips a generation. So you may find grandfather and grandchild or grandmother and grandchild, but possibly not the person. And you're, you're nodding and smiling because presumably that's experience that you you have had. Oh yes, definitely, because it's it's you know it's the grandchildren of this great grandfather that all well the majority of them have had it, and as you said when you mentioned about clusters, it's exactly so because when you map it out on the family tree, you can kind of see where it's actually occurring and which generation it, it where it's at as well. Yeah, and I think if you if we if research is sort of expanded to the wider autoimmune area, you'll find that there will be other related conditions so as I mentioned vitiligo, vitiligo um, thyroid issues um, also celiac disease which is uh, which is quite common um, so there is a, a Crohn's all these type of things that have a similar type of background and presentation um, you know somebody in your wider family may not have pernicious anemia but they may well have one of those conditions as as well even asthma um as well uh allergies very high histamine people with mm -hmm. pernicious anemia so you know you it's it's unfortunately it's like you know you've fallen into this silo of uh, autoimmune diseases and and you're going to get one or some of them yeah very true and now, you know, with the, you, you kind of mentioned a couple of things, but, you know, with pernicious anemia, the impact on the body and its ability to absorb B12. Can you just go uh, just a little bit into that uh, for the listeners? Yep, yeah, sure. So 
I should say I'm not a medic or, yeah. or scientist and that's, that's not my background, but I, I am a patient and obviously I've worked, I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of knowledgeable people about pernicious anemia and, um, and researchers and doctors. So everything I've learned is, is through that way. And, and I'll, so what some of the terms I'll use are for sort of layman's yeah. terms rather than the scientific ones, but essentially B12 is only found in animal products it, it's taken up by products that, uh, by animals who eat um, grass and from the soil um it, of course it can also be manufactured artificially but um it's absorbed in your body in different stages of digestion so your saliva will take some b12 out your stomach acid as i mentioned and your intrinsic factor will take some out and then there's a very very small amount that will come out when you've digested your food and it's on its way out through the ileum um so uh, there can be various stages of the disease and some people will be absorbing some and some will absorb none and i think that's again something that needs further research we don't know why that is the case for some people and and not for others uh what we um what we do know though is b12 is an is what's called an essential vit vitamin without it you will die i mean that there is no you know every cell in your body your whole dna is based on having mm -hmm. vitamin b12 so um you need to get it it needs to be replaced with people with pernicious anemia it needs to be replaced uh, artificially and and that's normally done by an injection um what's the impact on the body well what what normally happens and what we see presented all the time is that it's a disease that creeps up on you um and it can happen um very slowly it can you know certain life events can deplete what little b12 you may have even more so for women things like pregnancy menopause but things like stress um an operation um all of these things can you know make you drop even further but normally people will come first presenting with symptoms that are the ones that I described before so mm -hmm. maybe being breathless maybe being profoundly fatigued so we're not talking tired we're not talking you know people who've done a little bit too much but really noticing that they're not able to do what they they were doing before you know in my case it was you know I, I used to run um a lot and I, I wasn't able to do that I wasn't even able to walk my dog sort of you know 50 yards up the road so I knew there was something significantly wrong um but also other things like um you know it could be um fertility problems menstrual problems all of these issues that will start um presenting themselves and if you go to your listeners go to our website they will see there's a sort of checklist and it's a huge number of symptoms and what what is important is that not everybody will present with all the same symptoms or even the same combination um, because they will all come at slightly different times. So um, and what is worth also mentioning is that those symptoms often overlap with other problems. So, for example, iron deficiency presents with some symptoms the same. Um, other types of anemia may also lupus um, as well. It, conditions like that and also things like multiple sclerosis parkinson's um a lot of the pins and needles the the shaking the tremors the 
um, visual disturbance, you know, these these type of symptoms do overlap. And that's why it is quite a challenge for doctors to to diagnose. Um, they won't necessarily look at pernicious anemia or B12 deficiency because that isn't necessarily something that will be first in their mind. But if you have a history of it in your family, then it's something you need to share with your GP because that will be a flag then for the GP to to do a test. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And because I know that you mentioned there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of different symptoms. Not only that, it mimics a lot, so it makes it very challenging um, in terms of being able to diagnose it. Um, would you know, like, I mean, could you just indicate, I guess, just some of the, I guess, the topper top ones that would definitely be part of that, that that's, you know, a sign the healthcare professional can be vigilant for? Yeah. So I think my experience is that most people will first, will first complain of neurological symptoms. So they will talk about pins and needles. They may talk about struggling to breathe. They may, they may have noticed, um, twitching um maybe in their you know an art in their eye or something they may they may feel like um, they're having palpitations um and the other key symptoms which often worry patients a lot and and put them off actually having this conversation is is the confusion and the brain fog the forgetting the words the the inability to listen and concentrate for a long time they may develop tinnitus which is very annoying and frustrating um, they may um, they may be concerned that they they have dementia or um, you know there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of panic about that um, and there's also I think because of the prevalence in women this sort of fear for of women that you know some of these some of these symptoms they describe um, are often dismissed by the medical profession um, particularly if they are in menopausal age for example or you know m many of our members report that they've been um, to use a sort of common modern word gaslit by the medical profession told you're doing too much you've got young children you're working you you know you go to the gym and then or you're overweight or you're underweight or whatever the the, the um, thing is and they'll be dismissed um, and probably go away for some time before coming back and saying no I actually still do have these symptoms and of course the one of the biggest challenges is that generally you feel so ill that it's quite difficult to explain um, but it's it's a very different way of explaining to your doctor. You know, I always describe it. You know, if you've broken your leg, it's fairly obvious to everyone yes. what's happened, and there's an obvious way of looking for it and treating it. Um, with pernicious anemia, it's much more of a challenge to, firstly, for the doctor to start looking if that's the cause of your symptoms, and secondly, even when they suspect that, the current tests yeah. for pernicious anemia are in inaccurate and um unreliable no for sure and, and and i guess this is where you know either you're you know the person that is um suffering from the condition or the person supporting them really has to advocate for their you know their health to say no something else needs to be looked because i know with you know not only going just to the family doctor or the general gp but now you're going to let's say a specialist and sometimes their screening questions may include what is the family history of ABCD. They give you a whole laundry list and you you, you take it from there. Because I know for, um, you know, the person that I support, you know, that was part of the neurology 
type of questions. Yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness. And it made for a different conversation having with, you know, having with a neurologist and, you know, that too, I guess is part of the, you know, you have to own your healthcare, so to speak, unfortunately, nowadays, because as you mentioned, people will be gaslit to, to say, now they're there, you don't have to worry, it's probably something you'll get over with in, in a couple of months, come back to me later, and by that yeah. time. Or they might suggest, for example, you know, a lot of our, our members report that, um, you know, the doctor will say, oh, go away and take an over-the-counter um, vitamin or something. But of course, if you have pernicious anemia, that's not going to, to help you. Um, and of course, that might then delay diagnosis because you go away, you try and actually don't get better. Um, I think also, so I think what's important for people to know is, um, is, is to know their family history, you know, definitely to ask around in your family. If you already have an autoimmune disease or there is a history of autoimmune diseases, then that's definitely something you should share with your GP as a flag. Um, and I think one of the things that is really helpful is to look at websites like ours and look at the checklist and actually and actually try to find the words that describe what you are, that, that a doctor will um will react to because if you just say that you're tired you know I think um you know tired all the time and, and it's often used as a, a sort of shorthand for doctors um they they you know everyone's tired they'll, you know, they'll, that's how they'll look but if you use the word fatigue and if you talk about um, your inability to do what you could do maybe three months ago or six months yeah. ago like the distance that you could walk the number of hours that you stay um, awake in a day exactly. you know all of these things I think that this will help you and I know it's difficult when a patient is ill and if you can take somebody with you obviously to those initials initial um discussions that's really helpful too um the the nominal asphasia forgetting words and feeling um confused uh, is, is a very very common symptom but of course it is a symptom of other things as well and we always say to people new new people who come to us and who are worried about it we say you should have the other tests too you know it's important that you check those things out so for example in my case one of my symptoms that presented was I had what what I came to understand were these um hallucinatory smells so I smell um smoke um mm. when it wasn't there um but Doc, for doctors that's actually a trigger for brain tumors so they want to do an mri scan to to clear that out but then actually when i read a bit more it isn't uncommon for people to have either visual or, or um, auditory or um, sensory hallucinations when they have a b12 deficiency so that sort of explained why i had that but obviously it's it was right that the doctor checked for the other things as well no, definitely. I definitely because you said this is it, it, it mimics a lot of different things. So there's going to be it's going to take a lot longer to kind of diagnose and to get to the actual source of what the condition is. But it's good to know. And I'll put the the link uh, for that from your website in the show notes. So, you know, people can use that as a template for when they are going and having that discussion with their family doctor or GP or even the specialist at that matter, because again, using that language will help significantly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know that you mentioned in terms of with pernicious anemia, in terms of the treatment, it has to be um, an injection of B12. How exactly they can't take, let's say a tablet for treating 
this vitamin uh, B12 deficiency. Yeah, so so again, this is an area that sign needs significant research because one of the things we don't really understand yet is why some people need more um, replacement B12 therapy than others and why some people... And so at the moment, for example, some countries um, will um, administer hydroxycobalamin B12 and some countries use cyanocobalamin. So that's two different forms of, um, of B12. Um, in some countries, in Scandinavia, for example, they do use high dose oral tablets. And so for some people, if you have some parietal cells and some stomach acid, you may be able to absorb enough through your stomach. And we do have members who do um, use high dose B12 oral supplementation, um, but it may depend on which stage they are mm -hmm. in um, of the um, of the condition. Um, however, the vast majority of people will need an injection mm -hmm. um, directly into their blood because it, there is no point doing it through your digestive system. Um, no point storing it in your liver because it has to come back through your stomach and it will not get back into your blood cells into you know it will not be active um in, and you and you won't get better the um the challenge is also really understanding which people need um what frequency of injections because that varies that varies from country to country what the advice is and it varies even within a country and the doctor as to what they will give and and a lot of people um through their own journey find that they don't get enough B12 and they're on a roller coaster of living, you know, and say a normal life for a while and then tailing off um, with the return of symptoms come. And um, we, we get a lot of members, particularly from North America, the US and Canada mm -hmm. and from the UK, who are very, very frustrated that they live in this feast and famine world of getting a b12 injection where you get a shot you know if, if you can absorb b12 through digestion you eat a little bit every day and that and and but you know this this would be a better solution for people with pernicious anemia is to give them a little every day and not a massive dose every eight or 12 weeks because you know the logic doesn't make sense but unfortunately that's how mm -hmm. it is at the moment we as the pernicious anemia society we have a lot of um research questions that came out of a, a priority setting partnership that we did with the James Lind Alliance and which came up with 10 top questions for research to answer and uh, again if you look on our website you'll see what they are and they're, they're really mm -hmm. fascinating one of those is why do some people need it more often than others why do some people need it every day some people can go 12 weeks without any problem most people are somewhere in the middle there why do some symptoms return why do some symptoms never go away? So for some people, most of their symptoms will be resolved once they're getting adequate treatment. But for some, they will be left with something. They will be left, you know, again, in my case, I still have um, pins and needles in mm -hmm. my fingers and feet, um, which does which never goes away. Um, so no matter, and that's something because I was late diagnosed. Um, unfortunately, that is quite common. Uh, some people um, report that all of their symptoms have gone on, you know, and we have, we do have members who have run marathons and who have, wow. uh, you know, after diagnosis. So for some people, you know, a full normal life is, is fully possible. And of course, life expectancy ultimately isn't changed, mm -hmm. um, but quality of life for many people yes. is. 
And unfortunately, many of our members report having lost jobs or had to give up jobs. And perhaps more sadly, um, have lost relationships because people really do not understand the condition. Um, family members can be very uncaring and un unforgiving um, because it, you never get better. And, it, you know, sometimes you need to sleep a, a lot. Um, and um, but also friends um, yeah. and, and work colleagues can be very um, less than understanding because it's an invisible illness yeah and, and not very often heard about so um one of the things that was quite a brave um step and, and and I know a lot of people find it quite difficult but it, it actually made a big difference in my life when I started admitting I had pernicious anemia mm. before I used to just try and cope and pretend that there was nothing wrong with me um but now I'm much more open about it both at work and you know in, in with my friends and I um and actually can sometimes laugh and about, you know, when I forget a word and will make up a word for something and, and people um, sort of acknowledge and they'll sort of say, oh, yeah, that's that's your pernicious anemia talking. No, no, for sure, because, I mean, it can be isolating when no one can be able to relate or to to how to, you know, not necessarily deal with you, but be able to kind of take you and know what it means and understand. And, and it's the fear of the unknown, right? So what I don't know, I'm going to be afraid of and I'll step back, whether that's family, whether that's friends. And it's great that you were able to just say, you know, I'm just going to say this is what it is. And people have been receptive to take that because that support system means a lot. It carries a lot. And as you said, it's the quality of life and, you know, individuals may may suffer because people don't quite understand and again it's the fear of the unknown and it's one of those conditions that you know will unfortunately have people not really be there for them because it is you know why is this person sleeping a lot I thought we you know we got to the issue they have to do you know take their injections and that's it but as you said it's it's can it continues it may not fully recover from those um, initial conditions. And I guess it you know, just leads into the whole, you know, the long-term complications associated with an untreated or inadequately managed pernicious anemia. Because yeah, I'm we sure... had an interesting um, uh, person in a, in a support group that we, mm -hmm. we ran um, earlier this week, actually, who said that um, she, she had been treated with regular B12 injections for some time and, and was coping very well and everything was fine. She'd gone back to work. And then she said, oh, but really in the last sort of eight months, um, I've been really struggling and all my symptoms come back and I don't understand why. Mm. And the um, so we said, you know, has anything changed? And she said, oh, not really. And then then she said, well, actually, I've been diagnosed as diabetic. And we're like, well, there you go. Your, you know, some your body has changed and it's, you, you know, you need to go back to the doctor and say my symptoms have returned. You probably need more B12 to help you cope with. This also we we know and all, all the healthcare professionals should know as well that if you're diabetic and you're on metformin, uh, metformin is a drug which depletes B12. So you know yeah. you, you're getting a double whammy if you have pernicious anemia and you're taking metformin because you you have a very limited chance of having any active B12 in your in your system. And there are other drugs that the doctor can offer you instead of metformin. So um, you know it's very important that you have that conversation. Equally, we have people who talk about, um, you know, so nitrous oxide is another, um, Entonox laughing gas is another um, drug that um, will deplete B12. And so, you know, you should definitely make sure that you tell your dentist, 
your um your doctor if you're having surgery or any investigatory procedures and definitely you know if you have family members who are at risk of pernicious anemia they shouldn't be using nitrous oxide recreationally because it, it is very dangerous for people who have a b12 deficiency no for sure and it's just um i guess it's just again it's one of part of what your group offers in terms of the support and maybe we might just get to that right now because it seems like that is very important for people to have that support for their you know mental health and just to know that they're not alone in this right because it's not well known this type of condition and when something is not well known you know, people would feel, I guess I said, isolated and, you know, kind of ask those questions, well, why me type of thing? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think um, certainly my own personal journey was like that. So I I um, had the most terrible brain fog. I was really struggling to, you know, function at, at any level, um, profoundly tired and um, all these other symptoms. I thought I was going crazy, um, you know, in extreme cases people are delusional um, have psychiatric issues um anxiety is a huge problem so something that I had never experienced before I became I had many panic attacks um and I thought it was only me um I um when, when my GP said I think I think you have pernicious anemia and I said oh that's interesting I think my grandmother had that and then this sort of little light bulb went on and we we're like we we're both like yes with this is what it is obviously I went to the internet like other people do and found that and then I read um, the book that had been written by our founder Martin Hooper and um, I mean literally cried when I found that there were other people who had the same condition um, I was like there are other people out there and and we hear that so many times you know when people come to our support groups when people ring up our help desk when people send emails to our helpline and then we when we go back and we say oh yes, that's obvious, oh yes, everyone has mm -hmm. that, or everyone explains about that, um, you can visibly see them um, start to, to sort of believe that they there is a future for them, and that, you know, that, that they can, um, and also, you know, this, this the way that, that um, currently the medical profession, and this is true in all countries, unfortunately, you know, once the, you've been diagnosed and they start you on the treatment, they assume you are going to get better. But for many people, it doesn't happen quickly. For some people, it can take a year or more before they start feeling better. And um, and some people years, you know, mm -hmm. before all their symptoms have resolved. So um, and nobody really is told to expect that. Also, doctors don't don't tell you um, all the other things that you need to look at as well, which is, you know, obviously to keep your iron levels checked, your folate levels checked, because you need all of these ingredients to make healthy blood cells. Um, and what you must, mustn't do, obviously, is get to the point where you're deficient in other things too. No. Um, because if you start increasing your B12 intake, then your body is going to use up more um, of all these other things to make healthy blood cells um so but but the the key thing as you said is that people want to feel that they're part of a tribe or that they that other people have suffered the same as them and also the experience that, that they get we talked about women for example feeling gaslit um we have a number of male um members who will say to us we really struggle because um my family don't understand and I feel um, 
you know, it, it, they find it very difficult to explain and talk. Women are used to talking to each yeah. other in a way. And I think men sometimes struggle even more with that. So um, there's a lot of challenges. I think it's also worth mentioning that there's a lot more information generally, not just on our web website, but there are is a lot more information generally available on the Internet and social media groups. And some of it is accurate and helpful, but some of it is also very misleading. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our position is really people need to go to what is a trusted um, site and and try to avoid to some extent some of the the more extreme views and the and, and the sort of crazies who are recommending things. I mean, you know, we've had people on on social media groups saying um, I went to a functional nutritionist and they cured me of my pernicious anemia. Well, you can't be cured of pernicious anemia. It's a lifelong condition. Um, and that's just misleading if people think they're going to get get rid of it. No, for sure. And I know that your group, because when I was researching, you're the only group that I was able to find in the world. And But you do have chapters elsewhere, right? Is that correct? And I, I can put that in the show notes as well. But Yes, so we're, we're building that up. I mean, we, we are, you're right, the only organization specifically looking at pernicious anemia than a non-profit i mean there are other organizations good ones that look at b12 deficiency for other causes because b12 deficiency can be caused by dietary deficiency you know particularly if you're vegan or vegetarian there are people who have had stomach surgery for example celiacs there's also um uh, people who have atrophic gastritis um, there's a very good u.s um, support group for that um but we, as the, the Pernicious Anemia Society, we have um, support groups both online and um, that meet in person. And we're building those up in, in different places. So they're in the UK. We have one in the US, um, which is an online one um, and is in, in um, North America. So obviously for mm -hmm. Canada, too, could would be welcome to join that. Um, the, the challenge, and I think this is true for all small charities, is getting volunteers to, to do this. And also for us, particularly getting volunteers who have pernicious anemia to commit to doing these things, because, as I mentioned before, a lot of people are still on this roller coaster journey to feeling well. And when they do feel well, naturally, they want to go back and first reestablish their life with work, with family, with relationships and the like. And um, sometimes they then come back and say, yes, we want to help it, the charity, which is what happened with me. But uh, yeah, it, it is a challenge at the moment um, getting people up. Um, and I think also COVID has changed the world such a lot in terms of how people um, want to interact with other people. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a, a more of a move to people wanting online help, whether that's, and I don't mean online like this, but I mean, no. you know, could even just be wanting an email or a WhatsApp message answer um, rather than a face-to-face -face meeting. And actually, even doctor's appointments have become that way. I don't know how it is for you, but here in the UK, you, you very rarely see a face-to-face -face, um, appointment with a doctor now. No, definitely here in Canada, it's definitely the option. You do have the online option for sure. And it is definitely available and continually to grow, right? And as you said, as healthcare changes, that's the other thing, um, you know, for that. So... You know, it's just a lot of different things with some with a condition like this and to kind of look at it in a very broad spectrum as opposed to being very narrow. 
and um, you know, we can go, I guess, to the, I guess, the research efforts, because I know your group is a big on advocacy for this. So if you can just speak a little bit to, I guess, the research efforts on pernicious, pernicious anemia and its treatments. Yeah, so, so we, again, that probably differentiates our organization from others in that we've, we um, commission and fund research uh, specifically into um, pernicious anemia and B12. We are um, a member of an organization called Club 12, which is a group of over 160 researchers, medics across the world. Um, and this is a fairly new initiative where they come and they share research and they work on, on projects and um, they have speakers that come and talk to them. And what, I recently went to um, a conference, I was a speaker at a conference in Rotterdam with the B12 Institute and through those two days of lectures about B12, what was very noticeable to me was how much the research community did already know about B12 and how it works in your body. But comparing that with what the, the medical profession knows, um, the they, medical and healthcare profession know a very, very small amount of that research and actually often are misinformed about what the, the research currently says. And then there was this huge other area, the other side, of questions that still need to be answered. Um, and we've talked about some of those, so familial mm -hmm. links, um, you know, why some people need more than others, why are the tests so inaccurate? So for example, the test for intrinsic factor is only accurate in around 40 to 50% of cases. So if you get a positive diagnosis for pernicious anemia from that, um, then you have pernicious anemia. But if you get a negative um, result, it doesn't mean you don't have pernicious anemia. Um, so, this, you know, this and also obviously the B12 um, serum test, which is what the primary care provider starts with, that is also extremely inaccurate and can be affected by fortified foods. For example, all cereals are fortified with B12. Um, energy drinks so if you are having those and of course the irony is if you are profoundly tired and fatigued you are probably looking for ways to boost your energy um, and you've probably taken on um, a significant amount of b12 which will skew the results of your blood tests and so that's something again that you should share with your your um, doctor because it's very clear um, we know that the results and also the results can vary. We've got some research and we've actually got a blog, po blog post coming up on our website in a couple of months time talking about um, how even the B12 serum blood test can vary from day to day. So we have all of these research questions that we want to ask. We've got two um, research projects going on at the moment. One a very interesting one looking at people who are on injections every four weeks who are reporting daily on when their symptoms return. So that will be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Another research project that we're very interested to see the outcome of is um, a, a survey that went out to healthcare professionals asking what they did actually know about pernicious anemia. Um, and we're expecting that to be um, really quite telling, I think, in that how poor generally the knowledge mm -hmm. is. And um, another research, you know, which we're just starting actually um, in the next month or so with the University of, of Norwich in the UK. So we have a lot of things. We do a lot of surveys. And I, again, I think that's what's different about our membership is that we use our members um, as the cohort for those research groups 
um, and they are reliable people. They have lived with pernicious anemia or they're newly diagnosed with pernicious anemia. They're very articulate about their conditions and we are very well respected by research organisations to um, to provide those people to give those those answers. Um, and, and we want to do more of that. I mean, that's 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 definitely my passion. I want to answer more more questions and that can only done be done by uh, research. Um, and the, the problem is that every research paper that's published, then, you know, it answers one question, but it raises another 20 that we then want to to answer. Um, but, you know, there's a lot there is a lot of good stuff out there as well. Um, there is stuff that's already been done and working with Club 12, uh, trying to collate all that information in a place where researchers can have access to it and, and not reinvent the wheel. That's going to be a very valuable activity too no absolutely because i mean just to get all that information from that pool that you have that group of individuals you know will forever you know make it a lot more better and much easier for others coming along with this because as you said there's this not very well known people suffer kind of in silence you know they're looking out this is the only group you know, in the world, pretty much. Yes, you have chapters, but it's really hard to find. And, and, and that's the, you know, the thing that at least you have that support group, you have the research arm of, you know, of your group. And, and I guess that speaks to, again, you know, putting out that information for the early detection and intervention. And of course, managing, because as you said, it may take years for someone to, you know, overcome their symptoms still. And and going back, I guess, to, because I know you mentioned this before in the discussion, but again, with individuals and healthcare professionals, you know, how to really promote, I guess, a timely diagnosis, because I think, you know, I guess that would be the conversations that you're having, using what you had as, I guess, the checklist. Is there, you know, anything else that you can think of that would be, that would really assist us? Yeah, so I mean, it's really interesting that you said that because the Pernicious Anemia Society did a um, um, a survey a few years back, and one of the sad um, results that came out of that was that um, nineteen percent of respondents said it took them five years or more to be diagnosed, and even more shockingly, fourteen percent of respondents said it took more than ten years to be diagnosed. So that's backwards and forwards to the doctor saying, "I don't feel well. There's something wrong with me." And if we um, if we start looking at what the cost of that was in terms of um, all the appointments they had, all the tests they had, all the the routes they went down because they probably were tested for lots and lots of other yes. conditions. They probably had MRIs and all sorts of things. There probably was a number of visits to A and E uh, to emergency care. Mm -hmm. So um, all of those things, um, when a doctor, you know, maybe should have added B twelve uh, um, to a fairly early test. And I think the only way um, to do that is for organisations like ours to um, is to educate the uh, healthcare profession to to think about B12. Um, and I think there's a bit of resistance in the healthcare profession at the moment. They tend to see it as a trend, as a, you know, there's this sort of, if you like, a bit of a, a way that things have been um managed negatively in the sense that people who use b12 sometimes for lifestyle you know you hear celebrities injecting b12 because they want to feel better after a hangover or whatever 
Um, and so doctors tend to think, oh, you know, you're, you're sort of addicted to B12 and you need it. And, and um, or, you know, there's obviously also a growing interest in plant based diets, um, which do result in people being deficient in B12 if they're not supplementing properly or sufficiently. So um, I think doctors are they hear all this noise around B12 and somehow the issue with pernicious anemia and the autoimmune disease get sort of buried under that and they'll and they start sort of dismissing and again I come back to the point that it is largely women who are coming and and they are there is research that shows that women are more generally um dismissed uh, or take longer to diagnose than than men I mean one of the things that would be great I think for um for the patient is is to go armed with as much information as they can. And that's something that we are trying to do. So we have a series of help sheets. If you're a member, they're in our members section. Um, and these are things like uh, one sheet of paper, which will help you explain to the doctor. Um, so for example, we have a, um, a sheet about retesting, because once you're on B12 injections, there's no point having a B12 test because your B12 will be sky high because it's been injected into your, your blood. But doctors, are trained to always do a blood test as a, a sort of marker of where where you are or where they're starting from and then quite often what happens is they will say wow your b12 is over 2000 or um, and that's very high and so you've got to stop um because erroneously they think b12 is toxic which which it isn't um and so um we have got help sheets which explain that and which provide links to research and to documents so the doctor can take you can leave that sheet with the doctor now of course that really depends on what the doctor is like you know 50% of doctors are interested and will help and they'll they'll want to know and go and look things up and unfortunately there is a percentage of doctors who have um a more arrogant uh, don't tell me um yeah but, you know, the 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 best person, I my own personal GP who, who is now retired is um, is a is a great person. And he he always says there's there's nobody better to tell you about a condition than the person who has it. So, um, you know, you, you people should go with some some confidence that, you know, if you live with pernicious anemia and you have pernicious anemia, you should be able to uh, you should know more about it than than your GP. Definitely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And you're right. It's just to arm yourself with as much information and to, you know, I know it's easier said than done when I say this, but it's just to, to own it, to say, this is what is happening to my body. This is what I'm living with. Please listen, <laughs> you know, and, you know, these are all the symptoms. And as you said, to have these sheets and to go into that, because I noticed, as I said, I know when I did this whole research on you know genealogy in my family tree came across this condition going to um you know specialists it was a completely different conversation from that point onwards because yeah. then they look at you kind of differently knowing that you're armed with a certain level of information yeah and i think if you've got that information from a reputable source like a charity like ours then then that is something that a doctor should, as a professional, take uh, respect from. Because, for example, all our help sheets are reviewed by um, medical professionals, mm -hmm. GPs. So it's not that we are just making up based on what the patient said. You know, we are making sure that what we're saying is accurate. But um, what um, 
what doctors and I think to some extent I have some sympathy for that you know that it must be very frustrating if you've spent seven years qualifying as a doctor and then somebody comes in and says I read on Google this and this is what I think I've got it must be frustrating um but I think that's not the conversation that we're talking about we're talking about just going and trying to explain to the doctor these are your symptoms this is how they've occurred it's not how you were before I I talked earlier about anxiety you know that was something that I I didn't have before but it it came and I really didn't know how to cope with it um and and it became a spiral because because I was um I actually did have anemia uh, megaloblastic anemia and so I couldn't breathe and so my anxiety turned into panic attacks which I literally couldn't breathe um so it was a very physical reaction as well as a psychological Mm -hmm. reaction and it was very out of character my whole personality had changed and I think you know when I started explaining that to the doctor um I think that's when the sort of light bulbs went on which was I I was aware that I had that there was the change was significant Mm -hmm. um And I think that's something that it's very difficult to have that conversation when you're not well. And that's, again, why I would say if you can have somebody with you in those early conversations who can try to take notes, who can who can sort of say to the doctor, um, you know, yes, I've noticed these changes as well. um, That that could really help. I mean, again, early on in my um, in my diagnosis, because it did take me uh, many years before I was diagnosed, um i i kept being accused of not um eating a healthy diet which, which was I- ironic because i did have a very healthy diet um and I, and i was you know trying to add more and more b12 and and folic acid into my diet and iron because i was also deficient in iron and uh it, it the, a turning point was actually when my husband came to an appointment and said but she does eat all those things mm-hmm. you know and um yeah um again I think if you can uh obviously everybody's slightly different but maybe keeping a chart for yourself for of your symptoms and and how you know what if something makes things worse I had a conversation a little while ago with a a friend of mine who also has a b12 um, deficiency problem probably has pernicious anemia too although hasn't been diagnosed um that um she was struggling when we had the the very hot weather and the and the heat wave and I said to her you probably need more b12 b12 is a water soluble vitamin you've probably sweated out more than you would normally mm-hmm. um and you probably need another injection she got another injection she's like I feel better well yeah stop you know you don't don't deny yourself you know your body and I think that's when you need to say to the doctor the you know my circumstances have changed I feel different my symptoms have returned um this additional symptom has come I would just caution there that obviously some things are flags for other things so you know um and I've been guilty of that myself where I've thought you know it's pernicious anemia and it turns out that I've had a had a cold or um Mm. you know whatever a headache which you know was something not related at all um so no, no, I mean, that's that's great. And then the fact that you mentioned to have a chart or a journal is even better because that can just say, here you go, here's my book, please have a look at it. And I, I find that has helped in the past for myself or, you know, advocating for the person that I support. And as I said, it's just having that confidence to go into 
you know, the meet, the, the, the appointment and just having that conversation, whether you are, you know, changing your diet and, and mentioning what may be within your family tree to say, these are what's, you know, and whether or not that will trigger, you know, some other light bulb to go on in their heads yeah. to kind of say, let's have a different viewpoint. So, you know, yeah. I mean. And I think the other thing is to ask your family. I think we're all very guilty of not doing that, but to ask your, your family, look back into some, um, research as you did and you found that you know I mean obviously people don't nowadays die of pernicious anemia and also what was interesting to me a, a speaker at a recent Club 12 um, um, meeting came along and said that they had done some research in their own um, GP practice and they had asked their um, patients the number of patients who were on B12 injections if they knew the reason they were on B12 injections and a lot of elderly people responded that that they didn't know why, because there was generationally a different attitude yes. to doctors. Um, and so if a doctor said to someone maybe of your grandparent or great grandparent generation, you need B12 injections, they may never have heard the word pernicious anemia. So I think asking around that was, you know, do, do you know anyone in our family that had pernicious anemia or were they on B12 injections or did they, did they have other related conditions like iron deficiency, like, um, thyroid problems um I think once you start putting that out where the celiacs as soon as you start asking those questions and if there is a pattern that comes out mm -hmm. then I think that's you need to share that with your doctor life has changed so much in terms of the healthcare profession years ago the doctor probably saw a whole family or knew your family yes. history that isn't the case anymore so the yeah. patient has to take responsibility for their their family history and also with the chart I think not only is it helpful to share that with the healthcare professional, but I think it's also helpful very much for the patient because what you learn from the chart are the things that the, the triggers and the flags that make you realize what needs to happen. And often, you know, people have said to me, um, oh, you need an injection. And I find that really interesting because for me, one of the first things that happens is my... Um, sentence stringing together so uh and that comes you know I feel a bit tired I start on not being able to find the right words and one of my children or my husband will say I think you need some b12 <laughs> <laughs> um but then you know the next morning I'll wake up and my pins and needles will be slightly worse and uh you know and if I've left it too long my right eye will twitch and I'll you know I'll spend 18 hours asleep and you know, and I know, I know what all my symptoms are, but I learned a lot of that from, from a chart that I kept yes. in the early days. No, you, you definitely do, because that will then show, you know, certain triggers. And as you said, if there are any type of allergies that you may have, that too can come out and, you know, and as well, if it was a hot day type of thing as to why you felt that much more down. And as you said, this is a water soluble vitamin that will, you will sweat out. Um, yeah. So it's all these different things and to kind of look at things kind of differently. So yeah, and if you're run down, if you have a cold, if you if you become more active, you know, one of the things that's always very interesting for our members is once they've been diagnosed and they'll get some B12 and they'll start to feel better. 
and suddenly they'll go and do a lot more. So they'll say, oh, I've been to the gym or I've been swimming or I've climbed a mountain and I now I feel absolutely terrible. I'm like, well, yeah, because you've used up all the B12 that, you know, you, you need to pace yourself and make sure, you know, if you're doing more, then you probably need more B12. Um, and, you know, we're all a little bit guilty of that, that when yeah. you do feel well, you go around like a whirlwind and you try to do everything. Um, and I think we we all need to sort of have a practice a little bit of self-care sometimes yeah. and say, actually, what I need to do is to remember I do have a condition that will. Um, and, and especially if you're dealing with other conditions as well, yeah. you know, if you have thyroid problems and, and obviously thyroid medication needs adjusting every now yes. and again, um, you know, people um if your circumstances change so you know a lot of young women for example on the contraceptive pill if that changes if they come off or if they go on it that can affect their b12 um if certainly if you have a baby the baby will take more um b12 if you're breastfeeding um b12 will you will be using more b12 yes. so all of these things you need to bear in mind and these aren't necessarily things that your gp will think of or your healthcare your nurse or whatever will will think of but you need to know that um your body you you if you cannot absorb b12 through the you know, by eating more steak um or red meat or whatever then um you're going to have to have more regular injections um and and i think you, just, you know that's always another interesting thing as well with the sort of intolerance that people have um you know i if i had a you know dollar for t every time somebody said to me you know you're anemic why don't you just eat more meat um that that doesn't work i mean you know that's not going to help but obviously having a healthy diet is important too because you do need to um you do need folic acid you do need magnesium potassium you need all these other things mm -hmm. um iron to make sure that your your blood cells are being made healthily definitely and you know thank you for that because that's you know really needed to to be heard and to be said and you know as we you know come to a close with this and um you know end this great discussion because i could talk for hours about uh, patient care and advocacy but you know with your organization what are the current you know call to actions whether it's support or advocacy for individuals with pernicious anemia so the things that um we're really focusing on the, uh, on at the moment are um really about diagnosis and treatment of B12 deficiency and pernicious anemia. Um, in the UK, the um, the body, NICE, that, that sort of sends sets the guidelines for doctors, they, they are reviewing those and they will be published hopefully next, early next year. And we know that other countries will look at those because um, the UK is looked at as, um, as a sort of comparison for what guidelines are. Um, it's really important that those guidelines um, are good and accurate and, and we've been stakeholders and we've been contributing to that it's also really important that when they are published that they get out there and we educate um, both patients and the healthcare profession about what they say and what is the right thing so we are working extensively on education packages around that um, we're looking at the research areas that I talked about we're also trying to um, use more modern um, media to mm -hmm. to communicate one of my big frustrations is the mainstream media who who want to narrate a specific story about b12 and they'll quite often get get it wrong 
um, sometimes very wrong. Um, and and we we want to be able to respond to that in a constructive way. Um, so, for example, in January, it's very popular for people to cut meat out. You have um, a focus on plant based diets and vegans. And, um, you know, there's this this uh, dietary B12 deficiency and non dietary D deficiency. They're not exclusive to each other. You know, you can be a vegan and still have pernicious anemia. And so, you know, it, there's no point saying to a vegan, um, make sure you take enough supplements, because if those supplements are, and they're still having symptoms, they need to come back and look at having whether they have a, a problem. So there's a lot more information and misinformation that we need to correct. Uh, that's something that we really want to, to work on. Um, we also really want to grow uh, more internationally. You know, there's a lot of countries where there isn't the support there um, for people. We know from the support groups that we started in the, the US um, and we know Australia is another country that that um, responds to that as well. And we want to look at ways of doing that and providing what people need um, in different ways. And whether that's newsletters, whether it's help sheets, whether it's online support group discussions, whether it's face-to-face -face discussions, whether it's one-to-one -one help. Um, other things that we do and people often don't realize is we also provide expert witness information so people for example who've been discriminated against because yes. of their condition they may have lost their job um we we can provide information um to help people in those circumstances as well so um we are a membership organization so um that's how we fund the work that we do uh, it's relatively small amount obviously the amounts on our website are in sterling pounds but um you know you can pay in in your local currency whichever country you're from and we really like would like our membership to to grow um in terms of diversity in terms of age group and in terms of um the female male ratio because when we start doing for example familial research um it would be great if um if all those people are available to answer those questions so that's something, again, that's a mission of, of mine is to make sure that we have a very diverse and um, age um, wide group of people that we can call upon to to um, contribute to the research, which would make the research more credible and more accurate, obviously. No, thank you so much. This has been a great discussion and I'll definitely put those links in the show notes so people can be able to access them and to be able to increase and decide what they want to do. But I really do appreciate this conversation and your time, Katrina, for coming on to the podcast and speaking about this particular change. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.